Welcome to Books on Air, the podcast you really don't want to miss. I'm Suzanne Harris, and you are about to get a sneak peek at what goes on behind the scenes with authors. You're going to find out their secret recipe for creating their book. You might even get an inside scoop on their new project. If you want to know more about them and about their work, then we'll tell you where to find them on social media. Now, I've got a treat for you today. We're about to meet an author, M.A. Moreland, and we're about to talk about the book To Make a Hero. It's the first book in a much larger series that's titled Tales of Atonement. Now, when I say M.A. Moreland, I'm really talking about two people. I'm really talking about Autumn. Hello, Autumn. Hello. And Angel. Hello, Angel. Hello. We have collaborators. This is one of the first times that we have talked to collaborators on Books on Air. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Thank you. How does this work? <laughs> How well, does this work? <laughs> oftentimes, um, I've noticed that sometimes you can read books, and it kind of seems like everybody's in the same head sometimes. Every once in a while, something will be said, and you're you're kind of left wondering a little bit, what does that mean? Where's the detail? I don't know what's going on here yet. And sometimes, most of the time, you end up finding out a little bit of detail later on, and, and it helps clear up, you know, and, you know the, the confusion. Um, oftentimes, those are even literary um, tools that are used to keep your interest. But sometimes it's just a hole. You're just confused. You don't know what's going on, and it just happens in books. I've had it happen when I read a couple of really famous books that people really love. Sometimes it just happens. Do you each uh, take a character and or do you how do you do the collaboration? Do you write it together? Do you talk about it as you write it? How does the how does the actual writing process work? It's interesting because a fair amount of the writing is kind of um I wanna say tip for tap, but we'll think of the word uh improvise. Oh yes. We 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 write out we know the beginning and we know the end of the story. We know a lot of key points and events and whatnot as they are meant to happen. Um, you know, you map out all that stuff because it helps you stay focused on what each important point is that you need to have in your series, in your book, in your whatever you're working on. It's a lot like making things like book reports. You kind of end up having to make a little bit of an idea of, okay, I'm going to open with this. I'm going to have some of this in the middle and I'm going to end with this. It's kind of like that where you end up needing to have two like I was, I was mentioning, it's odd sometimes when, when you feel like you're in somebody's head, but you don't know what's going on in their head. When it's two people being able to write back and forth for a conversation, for two different people who are in the middle of conversing about something, whether it's important or two people who are in love and having a conversation about where their relationship's going, whatever it happens to be about, it, it feels it sort of... feels more organic. Exactly. It feels like it flows better. If you actually have two people actually thinking for those two people, you might get explained things that weren't explained that really kind of should have been because sometimes the writer doesn't really think about the fact that you are you as the reader or the watcher, even for TV shows or whatever, have you, you don't necessarily know all of the ins and outs of their world that they have painstakingly created. You don't know everything that's going on. You're, they're trying to include you into this world and let you learn about it. And sometimes they forget to tell you things that help you do that. And it makes it a lot easier when you have two different people 
the two of us kind of work together and it helps it. So we both, between the two of us, we catch, I like to think at least the majority of things that help to make it a, a better experience to read a book. I have a habit of going back and reading over whole books at a time that we've worked on um, and just reading the whole thing just to make sure it's enjoyable to read. If I know what's getting ready to happen, I know for a fact, I know what's getting ready to happen and I can still enjoy reading it. I think that's a decent book right there. Yeah. Yeah. And go ahead. Like she said, we we have, um, you know, we know, we know the beginning. We know the, we know the end. We know some things that we want to have happen in the middle. And other than that, we kind of, bounce off of each other to say like, okay, well, how about you take this plot point and then I'll take this plot point. That way only one of us really knows what's going on in a scene at a given time. So it's kind of exciting for us to even write. It makes it more interesting for the other person to show reactions because they're honest reactions. That character that, 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 for example, if she comes up with them, she's like, okay, I'm handling the, I'm handling the plot at this part. And I might make changes, and you have to have your character react to them. That makes it everything that my character does an honest reaction, because even I don't know what's going on. That's great. That's perfect. You know, that's what I thought you guys would do, because it that just sounds right. And it makes sense to me that if there are two of you, that your conversations and that your dialogue will be not only organic, but more authentic, because it's actually a give and take between two human beings, and it's not just in someone's head. Am I on the right track? Exactly. Yeah. They're, they're, to give a, a very small soliloquy of that exact sort of ideal, there have been times where we've had two characters and we're like, okay, these two characters are going to get together, they're going to fall in love, and they're probably going to have this child that is important later on in the series because it's, it's a, it's a, uh, our series is a, is a family saga, so it, can, it, it crosses generations. And... There have been times where we've been in the middle of writing for these two characters in question, and the two of them just don't get on well. We're playing the character as they are. We're playing, we're in their head. You know, it's almost like a psychological thing. We're in their head, and they just don't like this other person like that. We've had whole relationships that just didn't go anywhere. We had whole segments that we wrote and that we just deleted because it was like, this is unnecessary. They didn't, they didn't hit it off. And then another, and then maybe one of those characters feels like it falls in love with someone completely innocuous off to the side. And we're like, okay, so that's happening now. And we just go with it. It, 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 it ends up sort of sounding a little bit like, like one of us or both of us has some form of disassociative identity uh, <laughs> disorder or something. It's kind of like you have to create a person. You have to create a personality. You have to create wants and needs and hobbies and interests. And these all go into every aspect of that character, just like it goes into every aspect of a person. And it makes changes, unexpected ones. Humans are the eternal X factor. We make changes, and a lot of them are unexpected. What you two are really talking about is the creative brain, because you're you're really talking about the way the characters work. It's so interesting. Whenever I talk to fiction writers, the characters are are real to every fiction writer that I've ever talked to. And They're like our kids. Exactly. <laughs> and they do things. The character will do unexpected things. You yes. just gave me an example of how a really creative 
mind, a really creative brain, and in your case, it's going to be two creative brains, work. <laughs> yeah. And you realize that the people who have never written fiction are sitting there going, these people are nuts. You realize that, don't you? <laughs> but, and I, I can definitely imagine how that we sound, we sound like we're talking about like the two of us have a form of disassociative identity disorder and we're just releasing it in our writing. And it's like, no, we created them on purpose. <laughs> exactly. No, you too. So hopefully you enjoyed reading. It. You two have really, really creative minds to be able to work together like this and create a really good product. I'm curious. Let's talk about the book. Let's talk about To Make a Hero. As I as I read through the excerpt, I thought, how do I classify this book? It's sort of medieval fantasy meets vampire. Am I on the right track? <laughs> how would you guys classify the book? What kind of genre? Specifically book one. For so specifically To Make a Hero, it's definitely, it's definitely some high fantasy. Yes. But there's also some historical fiction. For instance, uh, the character you read about in the excerpt there, uh, Martin Riddell, served in the Scottish army. We're talking around 1300s era. The early, the, the, the really, really early 1300s, late 1200s. So we have some mention of uh, famous historical people like William Wallace. King Bruce, who was the king of Scotland at the time. Oh, and Wonderful. Shown per se. We also had uh, other name Gentuka, who was actually a, a supposedly an actual histor historical figure that was made famous in um, the books of uh, Dante's Inferno. And uh, Dante Alighieri. Dante Alighieri actually knew the woman of Gentuka, and we sort of borrowed her and uh, and and utilized some bits from her actual life and whatnot that we do know with little bit, we do know um, again, only because of Dante Alighieri from uh, who wrote Dante's Inferno. Um, and we picked up part a little bit here and there and we created, we, 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 we pretty much recreated her as a person um, and did our best to make sure that it, it, first of all, it was respectful because we, we, there's so little information that you can derive about or derives about her. Mm -hmm. There's so little that we know about her as a human being. So we tried to keep it vague in some ways, but in other ways, just respectful and still handling it in the way that we needed to handle it. I love it that you're weaving all of this together. Let's give the listeners an overview of the plot of To Make a Hero. So it's a love story. It's yes. a love story. A hundred percent from the beginning to the end. That's a, it's a love story. Um, you um you, know, you you watch this family these two families grow up together and I think you meet the kids around like age seven or five or they're not five, I'm sorry seven or ten maybe eleven they're young kids these are kids children and you watch them grow up from being little kids playing around in the Scot Scottish Highlands um. And then you, you move on from there where you see them fall in love. And then, oh, my gosh, there's a dragon. Why is there a dragon? <laughs> and then that, and then, and then it actually gets a little, it gets weaved in to where it's not just random. Um, because this is a day in the 1200s. These were days where, where the world didn't know so much. And the world around people felt so magical. And that 
And even though they lived their day-to-day lives, they truly believed that there was magic around every corner. That's what we tried really hard to impart to where you have the, these families. And they're just, it just seems like a slice of life, normal, average, everyday book, just about some people. And then slowly but surely, the magic starts being woven in. And part of that magic is to teach the main character, Martin, how to actually be a hero. It's one of the reasons why the uh, title as it stands now is to make a hero. It's following his journey that he has to partake in to not only save his, his wife. Um, at this point, he's a young man. He's, he's in his, I believe, uh, something big happened. You know, it's it's um, not huge spoilery because it's actually a pretty overarching theme of the book. As I, as I said, uh, it's a love story. Um, he falls in love with with a girl from another another family, you know, that he grew up with, and skipping a lot of details that would, of course, be read better read. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> uh, she is kidnapped away by someone who wants her for themselves. And he goes through an entire book of learning himself, becoming a better person, and becoming a hero that can go and save her. And meanwhile, though, let's not discredit Madeline. Just because she's a medieval woman that needs saving at one point does not mean that she is not a credit to women's as, women, women as a whole. Um, if I could say what was probably the strongest female in our book series, I would not say it was Madeline, but I would definitely put her in the top five. Yeah. Definitely. And her strength is more internal. No, she wasn't capable of saving herself in that specific situation. She didn't have the proper tools to be able to do so. But she did fight, and she stuck to her guns. She never gave in to the situation. It's your strength of will. Yes, strength of will. Without going into any details that might ruin the story for others. Right. It's her strength of will that, as a as, as a female included, we really wanted to make sure that she had strength. I get sick and tired of reading books where the guys get to have all the heroic fun and the women just get to get saved. We wanted for the first book to have echoes of that traditional hero where the hero is big and strong the maiden is beautiful and fair and she gets kidnapped yes we have attributes of that that traditional hero situation in the first book aspects it's not all about just how weak she is and how strong he is though it definitely makes sure it points out how strong she is in her own right have you got a little excerpt that you'd like to share with the listeners actually uh uh-huh Hmm? I think yes, we should go back and forth reading it. Sounds good. Um, I'll start, and you go ahead and pick up the next, and then I'll just read for my characters and read for yours. So, so, as a point of note, this uh, this excerpt is going to take place around about the teen years of the two main characters, and it picks up initially with Martin's father. So Matthias exits his home at the call of the English decree and folds his arms as he stands in front of his door. What do the five of you want with this place? The English troops, bearing all the colors of the current king of England, produce a scroll and begin to read. It is by the decrees of his royal majesty, King Edward I of England, that the witch known as Edna Rose be remanded to the custody, where she will be tried for her crimes against God. Raising a brow, Matthias pretends to think, rubbing his chin and closing his eyes thoughtfully for a moment, 
before climbing before combing out of the thatch with the shrug. No person here bears that name. Edna Rose, afraid you lads are off course. Burning deeply, the Englishman scoffs. We have permission from his majesty to search any premises. So please, stand aside, Scotsman. If Edward wants his people in my home, he can come and tell me himself. The large blonde scoffs and frowns. Now leave off, or I'll make true those falsified Scottish atrocities. Your lot be spreading. Scowling deeply, the Englishman goes for his weapon without warning, but by the time he levels his weapon at Matthias, he finds himself face-to-face -face at the point of the Scotsman's broadsword. Now, Englishman, this sword is Macamea. It becomes angry when my home is threatened. Matthias holds his ground sternly until a sudden sharp pain ears through his body. His eyes go wide as he calls out, and a black-fledged arrow sticks straight out from his knee. Stumbling back, he uses the sword for balance and grits his teeth in pain and anger. Right. Charles, take his sword. The leader of the group addresses a man at his right. But as Charles steps forth, Martin dashes from his hiding place and reels back his fist with all his might to land it squarely in the Englishman's jaw. In the next instant, as Charles is sent reeling, the Scottish youth grabs his father's sword and brings it to bear against the English again. As he does, a rune suddenly grows brightly and the sword is wreathed in fire. Sorcery! This boy, he's got sorcery! The leader backs up several steps as two more English knock arrows. Martin stares in surprise at the glowing swords that radiate heat and billows his blonde bangs about. Looking up with a frown, he readies his ground and slashes out as the arrows are released, burning them down in midair. Again, the leader calls, and more arrows are drawn. A white-fledged arrow flies to strike one man in his bicep, piercing through his actin. The soldier cries out in pain and surprise, dropping his bow as he grips just above the wound to help staunch the blood flow. Madeline comes to the blonde side, already drawing back her bow once more. The same sort of white-fledged arrow is readied against her forefinger, and the bow string is drawn back to her ear. Her usually bright and sweet green eyes pierce like gem-cut daggers and hold a fire only slightly less intense than the blaze wreathing the Scottish boy's weapon. If you children think that we will let you push us around, you are sorely mistaken, the lightly armored man growls. There are only two of you and five of us. Give us the witch and stand down or we will have you all arrested. Melon Rose has been dead for ever. Edna Rose has been dead for several years, Madeline snapped, gritting her teeth and narrowing her, her eyes darkly. Whoever told you otherwise was either sorely mistaken or making fools of the, of the king's men. You are the witch's daughter, aren't you? The soldier glowers back at Madeline while still holding a firm stance to his conviction. Surely you don't expect us to believe the spawn of a devil worshiper. Their foe scoffs, still brandishing his weapon. Perhaps you should come with, with us and be tried before God. How do we know her evil died with her? A light cry resounds, and when the, guard, and the leader turns, the third member of Martin's party tosses a branch to the ground and quickly claims the fallen man's bow and a black-fleshed arrow from the quiver. Complete with a, with a green tunic and feathered hat, he can't help but scoff. Who joins the fray now, Robin Hood himself? Blinking a moment, Shane looks over himself and smirks. I guess I do cut the figure of the famous outlaw, but I'm Shane Riddell. I'll speak for Madeline, and if you, if you mean to take her, you'll have to dodge my arrows, too. How? 
Mm, let's see. How dare you call my uh, uh, sorry? How dare you call my honor into question when you have killed my mother? Madeline Albert screamed. Her eyes squinted painfully before she gripped her teeth. She worked to get us here and forfeit so much, including her life, to ensure I would have one. You killed my mother, and now you threaten my new family. I'll defend them with my. Uh, I'll, I'll defend them with my last. Her breath becomes caught in her throat as her words become thick, and she holds back a sob. As the, sque- as the three square off with a small mob of English, several others begin to encroach upon their position from areas around the village proper. Fishermen, shepherds, a butcher, blacksmith, and several others. They all brandish what they could find as conceivable weapons, a few of them even slapping their fists together to ready for the bloody fray. Still holding his jaw, Charles approaches his leader and mutters, Sir, if the witch is dead, I think we stand a far better chance now to leave. John's taking an arrow and Terence is unconscious. I'd rather not have my head on a Scottish pike. Frowning deeply, the leader grunts, Have it your way. I'll wot you well. This goes against the choice of, of Scotland and England. Edward will hear of this. You broke your own treaty when you came to my door and shot my father. Martin growls back. I have half a mind to send you back to Edward. Well cooked. Do that, boy, and our forces will arrive in droves. You must fancy yourself a young William Wallace. Bear in mind he was defeated well before your time. The leader scoffs back as they begin to mount their horses. He c- because a much more heroic figure than you, Madeline growls, uh, growls, snooting her nose into the air as her eyes squint. Her eyes still squint painfully. Those two boys have twice the honor you'll ever have. Running deeply at Madeline, the man seems to study her for a moment before scoff again. I'll be seeing you in a few years. Come, lad. Spring his horse and leading it on, they clop off into a grouping as Charles leads Terence's horse with the unconscious man draped over it. Hey, Englishman, you know what they say about the Highlands? The only thing harder than the people is the rocks. Shane crows as he launches a fair-sized stone into the, one of the horse's hindquarters, causing the animal to whinny and then rear back for jetting forward with the rider trying desperately to get it back under control. Shortly after the disappearance of the threat, the sword in Martin's hand slowly loses its fiery glow and Shane jogs up quickly to his father's side. Duh, are you all right? Does it look like it? Matthias snaps back, gritting his teeth and forcing himself to sit up. The shaft that pierces his leg drives all the way through to the joint, and the man's blood spills the ground beneath him. Painful as it looks, Matthias tries his best to will against it uh, before grunting in reluctant defeat and growling out to his son. Damn it, Shane, go get Edna. Nodding swiftly, the lean boy straightens and flashes Madeline a grin. You're a talented liar. Yeah? She asked, resting her bow and resheathing the arrow before spitting a good bit of red to the ground at her side with, with a sigh, then a whimper. Well, I'll be paying for it every time I eat for the next while, as she sticks out her tongue, revealing a raw wound upon its tip. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody listening to this is see the per, you've you've stopped at a perfect place. Anybody listening to this is going okay. What's next? And so what we want to tell them 
is where they can find the book. Now, it's on Amazon. Let me give the the specifics so that they can find it. I always think maybe there's somebody listening who's never bought a book on Amazon. I can't imagine that, but there may be. So it's very simple. All you do is in the search feature on your computer, just type in www.amazon.com, and it comes up. And there's a big search box at the very top of the page. Type in to make a hero, colon, Tales of Atonement by M. Period, A. Period, Moreland, M-O-R-E-L-A-N-D. Click on it and the book will come right up. There's, there's an excerpt. There's a description right there on the page. You can buy it right there on that page as well. Now, Angel, Autumn, is there somewhere yeah. else that they can get the book besides Amazon in case they don't want to use Amazon? So um, you can also use the Barnes & Noble website. Again, just searching for Moreland. <laughs> Um, you can also go to Barnes and Noble's face to face. There were once, once there were, um, you can actually find solid copies at a few of the Barnes and Nobles around. I have no idea if they still actually have solid copies in hand, but I do know for a fact that they will order it for you in a heartbeat if you ask them to. Perfect. Now they can find you on Facebook, right? Yes, uh, we are at M A Author Fan, M A Moreland Author Fans. Uh, it's a Facebook page um, that actually leads directly to me. You can, and I am very open. I have conversations with fans and just curious people all the time on that site. Um, sometimes they talk to me personally. I have several fans on my personal page that are now following me, and, and they talk to me and whatnot. They they get me directly, and if they want, I I then turn around. And I talk to her as well to Angel as well. Um, we have new information there. We even offer deals on uh, everything from. Oh, merch. Sometimes we put out merch every once in a while. Um, and, you know, there's things like that. There's, there, we always talk about exactly what's going on with the book series at the time, how you know far along we are, um, given that this is uh, specifically um, the first book out of what was, you know, the series. Uh, we are actually currently working on book five. five. We are in the middle of working on book five. We're trying to make sure that once we really start putting out books, we'll be able to make sure that it is coming out consistently and they won't, nobody will deal with, wow, it's been like three years since they had the last Kingdom Hearts come out. When are they going to have it again? <laughs> we don't want to be that. We don't want to be those first people. We want to make sure that people know they can have a copy of the new book with new information at the very least once every year. Personally before Christmas, if, I, if we can help it. So if they put Tales of Atonement, if they put that in the search feature, will the series come up? It should, I imagine. (laughs) Excellent. All right. Excellent. Now, I always like for the author, and in this case, the authors, so both of you think about how you would answer this question. I always like for you to have the last word about your work, because this is your work. When the listeners purchase a copy of the book and they become readers and they either read it electronically or they read it physically and they finish book one for the first time and they close the last cover or turn off their device and finish to make a hero. Do you want them to just feel like they've read a really great story 
or is there something else that either one of you, I'd like both answers, want the reader to take away from the book? If we're talking about the first book, exclusively what I would love for people to walk away from the first book with, I don't want them to walk away thinking, that was so cool. When's the next book? I want more. I want to know more. Where, where is this going? What's happening next? What's happening to these people? What's going on? I want these to be the kind of questions that they're left asking themselves so they want to pick up that next book. I want people, I would love if, if and, and, and I just want people to read the book. It is my, this is my, um, oh, what's the word? My, uh, magnum ma- opus. thank you. I keep forgetting that one. I don't know why. This is my magnum opus. Um, I am, I'm actually currently sick. I have um, issues. Uh, we'll leave it at that. I'm not looking for, for any kind of sympathy. I really am. I'm not. But the biggest thing that I want with my life is to be able to share this story, this these family stories, this this alternate reality of how things could have been in some fanciful world and how our world could have been. And I would love to be able to share it with the world, these things that have been going through my head and that we've been doing literally since we were 16, 14 years old, we've been working on this book series. I kid you not. We're both the same age. We're both 36 now. And that means, wow, that's, that's, it's over 20 years of love that has gone into this series. And I would love for other people to walk away feeling like they want to know everything that they can know about this series, about the book itself. I want the book to feel like it's, it's the beginning. Wow. All right, Angel. What do you um, think? I really want my readers to appreciate some of the meta aspects. <laughs> <laughs> I really have fun with the meta aspects, even writing them, you know? So, I mean, I include a lot of uh, even religious aspects, but all in respect and all in an extremely, you know, meta format to where I'm not, and don't think we're picking on. We don't downcasting any 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 specific culture. We don't or people. pick on any particular one either. It's very universal. <laughs> As I said, like we 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 are spiritual people ourselves. We like to try to be inclusive, not exclusive. And you know, you you have people they they think you know magic. They they think Harry Potter. They think you think vampires. They think Twilight. You think you know. Dystopian, you think Hunger Games, and maybe even Percy Jackson. If you're lucky, they can do because they think that. But we don't. We, we, we want people to know that this that's this part is, of this that's in it's in the same world ideals, but that's not what it is. It is its own story, and I definitely think that fans of those novels will appreciate this as well. Uh, not just not only that though, but we did want one while while we're on inclusivity. It is very LGBTQIA friendly. They there are people that have those. And no, it's not everywhere. It's not forcing anyone's face. They're people too. They are human beings. They are you. You walk by them every day in in the streets. When you drive your car, you drive by them every day. They're they're there, and they are played like any other person because that's what they are. They're people. Sorry. That's all right. No, this has been a pleasure. I have. I can't tell you how much fun I have had talking to the two of you and listening to the creative process that goes on between the two of you. It's just been a pleasure. Thank you so much, both of you, Angel and Autumn, for being my guest today. M.A. Moreland on Books on Air. It's just been fun.
Thank you for having us. We appreciated it. Remember, you can find the series Tales of Atonement on Amazon, and we're specifically talking about the book To Make a Hero Today, and that's the one that you heard the excerpt from. You've been listening to Books on Air, brought to you on webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on iTunes and iHeartRadio. Go to Amazon, pick up a copy of To Make a Hero, check out the rest of the series, Tales of Atonement, by M. A. Moreland, M-O-R-E-L-A-N-D. I'm Suzanne Harris, and I certainly hope that you'll join our next Books on Air podcast, because remember, you never know who's going to be here, and you never know what we're going to talk about. Thank you so very much for listening.